0: Hello, everyone. This is Brian, one of your hosts for the Beyond Prisons podcast, and this week we have a great interview with Taylor Novell. Taylor is a writer and advocate for justice-involved women. In 2017, she created a writing program at the Central Treatment Facility, the Women's Facility in D.C., called Sharing Our Stories to Reclaim Our Lives. She is credited for creating the concept of the Trauma to Prison Pipeline for Women and girls. While incarcerated at the Corrections Corporation of America in DC and in the Federal Bureau of Prisons from 2010 to 2015, Ms. Novell volunteered by providing legal advocacy for fellow incarcerated women. Ms. Novell's writings have appeared in The Washington Post, Talk Poverty, The Nation, the Vera Institute for Justice blog, and Miss Magazine online, and she holds a BA in literature. You can learn more about her work via Facebook at Who Speaks For Me. If you'd like to read more of her writing you can support her at patreon.com slash taylor t-a-y-l-a-r where she will begin to publish monthly newsletters for patrons only as for our show you can find us on twitter at beyond underscore prison and on facebook at beyond prisons podcast please help people find our show by giving us a rating and leaving a review on itunes google play spotify or whatever platform you use to listen And finally, I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you to our supporters on Patreon uh, who make this show possible. As Kim said last week at the beginning of our show, um, we're honestly very moved by the level of support folks have shown and the praise and feedback and commentary we've gotten from our listeners. And I know I speak for Kim and myself when I say that doing this show has had a deep impact on our lives and the ability to have these frank conversations and attend to the reality of these issues is precious to us. And from what we've heard from our listeners, the same has been true for many of you. We really need spaces like the Beyond Prisons podcast to connect these movements, to communicate ideas, to deepen our thinking and understanding and grapple with these issues in more meaningful ways um, than what's more commonly offered that's what we're committed to doing, and it has to be a partnership with listeners like you. We want to devote more time to the show, we want to bring you more episodes and spend time really thinking through the work we're doing, but to do that, we need more of you to step up and help us have the resources to do so. So if you can give even a dollar a month, that's just $12 a year, you'll make a difference in the impact the show can have. And as we grow, you'll help us make space to expand our work around the topics we discuss here, to produce writing and research, facilitate workshops and give talks, travel to profile the movement in action around the country, and so much more. So again, if you can spare at least $1 a month to build this platform for abolitionist voices, we'd like to urge you to do so. Just head over to patreon.com slash beyondprisons to sign up. And one more special thank you to everyone who has supported the show on Patreon. We can't thank you enough. That's it for now. Hope you all have a great weekend. And here's the interview with Taylor.
1: When I saw your post, I was like, I wonder if you'd be willing to come on and, you know, read the post, share it and, um, and talk about, you know, your experience. So why don't we, why don't we go ahead and get started? Um, do you mind leading us off by reading the post?
2: Sure, I'll, um, I'll start off by reading the post. Um, this is from February the 9th. I stopped knitting for almost two years after I came home. When I was in prison, I would imagine my home with wicker baskets of delicious colored yarn with beautiful textures. The vision came true, but then I would knit and remember. I would knit and have trouble breathing because prison flashbacks grabbed me around the throat and wouldn't let go. In 2017, I fell into a dangerous depression. I sunk deep into my bed and had trouble getting out of it each day. Some days I would just knock it up. In 2018, a year after the almost fatal depression took hold, I saw speckles of sunshine through half-masked eyelids. My yawn whispered and I uncurled myself from suffering and started small projects in the winter of 2000, started small projects. In the winter of 2018, a woman I had done time with asked me to make her granddaughter's hats so their ponytails could hang out. It's how the double ponytail hat was born. Someone saw the picture of these hats and asked me to make four, and I did and was paid. And then my therapist said, I think it's time for you to think again about having an Etsy store. See, while I was in prison, I came across an article about Etsy, and I kept it and made plans to start a shop when I got home. Nobody tells you that coming home from prison might be your death sentence. It's been so fucking hard. And knitting, something that kept me grounded in prison, made me short of breath. Sometimes we have to look at the thing itself and all the horror it reminds us of and make it over. What was it like knitting in prison? It was a sign of how lonely, isolated, and vulnerable I was during incarceration. It was a sign of how little I had, and even that was not in my control. Once, I reported an officer for making crude sexual gestures towards me. When the evening shift came on, five officers, one was a lieutenant, two were from other units, came to my cell, told me to leave, and then they destroyed things I had knitted for friends at home and for others in the prison. These were things other inmates had given me yarn and commissary to make. They ripped up patterns and unraveled balls of yarn and mixed them together. Still makes me cry to remember. When it was over, a few women came and helped me put my cell back together. It was painful to look at my work, my property, so violently destroyed. These are the things that made knitting hard when I came home. Lately, I've been thinking on what are the things that make my heart smile when I'm creating with my needles and yarn. In prison, there are not many yarn colors available. One of my wishes was for all the colors in the world of yarn. Today, I sit here sipping Earl Grey tea from a porcelain mug. There are no plastic cups or mugs in my house. And I take in my needles and yarn and shipping materials and books and, size, and a size flips out. The size is more of a, yes, this is what I wanted, acknowledgement. My yarn in luscious colors and textures protected by my books charting on their shelves and the sun shining through the windows. There are no keys jingling to remind me that I am not free. No one can just walk into my place and tell me to leave so they can destroy it. I learned to knit and crochet in prison for my sanity. When I came home, I did not feel safe or free. It has taken me more than four years to begin again and to find steps of sunlight through eyelids dimmed by trauma. People are ordering from my shop. They send me the kindest notes and loving wishes. Each knit, every pearl, the smallest chain one, every cast on, all of it is a path to freedom healing, and managing my mental illnesses caused by trauma. Each item I make and send off to someone is an amazing act of courage for me. When I create these items, I'm agreeing silently living one more day. I am humbled by the support and love, truly really humbled. Wow, thank
1: you for sharing that. That was- yeah, thank you. I, I'm, I still have chills, um, you know, uh, and hearing you read it. Uh, it's even more powerful. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, you and I had a conversation, um, you know, a long conversation. We talked about um, the lack of access to art materials in prisons. Um, and given how healing, you know, it is to make things, as you describe, right, um, that it can be both painful and healing. Um, why do you think, prisons deny incarcerated people access to these materials?
2: So prison is a place where you are, they have to tear you down and dehumanize you. So any acts that make you feel more connected to the outside world and more human means more empowerment for you, right? So. The very act of being able to go to the commissary and pick out knitting needles and pick out yarn, um, it empowered us. But even that, they limited, right? Because if you know anything about knitting and crocheting, you need different size needles and different textures of yarn to really make beautiful things, right? hmm
3: mm-hmm.
2: If they limited that, even though this is our money, right? Yep. From prison to prison, there were different things. So if someone got shipped to the prison, the first thing you did was try and scope them out and find out what do you have that we can't get here and then we'll pay you all this money that it's not worth because you we know. want this. Mm-hmm. And so it is a way of denying your humanness. I mean, prison in itself is created to dehumanize, to degrade, to disempower. If somebody is able to create art, there was this woman who was an amazing artist from D.C. who was who had killed her husband um, because of domestic violence. And she's a white woman. Her husband was black and they were heavy into drugs and things like that. Um, anyway, she was this amazing artist, out of prison and in prison. And um, she really flourished. You know, I, the, the thing she created was amazing. When they decided to punish her, and she did do something she shouldn't have done, the first thing they did was cancel her commissary, right? Because then she couldn't go buy art supplies. Mm-hmm. they then they they put her in the shoe. And when they packed her to ship her to a new prison, they sent all of her art supplies home, which means that she had to start all over again trying to get those items, right? So Mm -hmm. it's like a way of, it's really a way of trying not to allow people to heal. If you think of art as a healing tool, which we all know it to be. It is. Somebody can take that away from you then it's saying, we really aren't interested in your rehabilitation. We really aren't interested in you working through your mental health issues or your your trauma, your, 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 your substance use disorder. We're really interested in just controlling you and showing you how irrelevant you are. So I mm. think that is one of the reasons they do it. Now, when you think about, I'm gonna do a whole little series of my knitting needles from Susan, because some are bamboo, but most of them are metal and very pointy, right? Mm -hmm. and in the men's prison they'll tell you men will make shanks out of any piece of metal (laughs) but women don't do this like i said there's been no history of a woman in prison or jail actually killing a fellow inmate i don't think there's any documented cases in the in this century or the century before so women in the federal system and i think in some of the state facilities are allowed to have plastic or metal or bamboo knitting needles now in the federal system. Men were had access to plastic crochet needles in an art setting mm-hmm. and they couldn't be in prison for a violent charge, and then they had to leave those things they couldn't take it back with them. So I under like we had scissors in the federal prison. I still have my scissors from um, federal prison. scissors, needles, you name it, we had it. and um, the men won't allow that because the nature is just different. I mean even the transmasculine The transmasculine men in the women's prison didn't engage in making shanks and things like that. So I can understand keeping that away, but keeping pencils and markers and chalk from people, I don't understand that other than it is to dehumanize the grade and to take away any sense of autonomy and creativity. Um, That's the only reason I can think of that. When you tell me about your son and only having a nib of a pencil, um, really, who's he going to hurt if he has a pencil? Well,
1: Not only that, but he's also in the shoe and he's been in the shoe for 12 months. You know, this Mm -hmm. go around. So he's in a cell, basically. um, Well, now he's he's got uh, a cellmate, but for a long time he was in a single cell. So when you're in a cell by yourself, I mean it, it's it's really not about hurting someone else. See, I it, as you you hit the nail on the head. The idea is to punish people um, and to control them and to basically make them feel you know less than human. Uh, and art oh. is art, you know, brings color to to a really dark, lifeless, colorless. Place There is no color in prison. You All you have to do is mm-hmm. the minute you walk onto the grounds of a prison, it can be the sunniest, prettiest day. And the contrast is so stark. There is, you know, other than breathing human beings walking around there, it's lifeless.
2: So I had, uh, I used to blog a lot, and I recently had to stop. I can't go into details why, but there's, anyway, I, I had to take my blogs down. I'll put them back up in another couple months. But one of my blogs, I wrote about the absence of color. Mm-hmm. And I tell this story about, again, we've talked about this. County time is the hardest time you'll do. State time is the next hardest time. Federal time, trust me. Cohen and all those people, they don't want to do state time. They want to go to a federal prison, even if it's a medium or maximum security, because there are things that you get in that system that you will not get. And I don't understand why across the board, prisons are not run like the federal system. So I have this piece called Absence of Color, and it's because, as Chaplain Walker used to say at all of this in federal prison camp where I was before I got shipped to the medium security, she used to say, in a world of khaki and gray. Sometimes it's good just to have a bit of color. She would say this in her sermon sometimes. And we couldn't keep any of the beautiful things we made. We had to send them out, right? Oh, wow. um, Okay. Um, We couldn't, we weren't allowed to keep them. You could keep like one stuffed animal. And and I had this one little one I named Phoebe, Um, this little pink um, stuffed animal I made. But you had to send all your things out. You couldn't wear any of the tops you made or hats you made. So in order to have color in my life, every time you saw me whether i was making something or not i was knitting and in my little bag i would always have color because i was like they took my freedom they took my identity and gave me a number and they took color from me why yeah. would you take color from mm-hmm. people because it's sensory deprivation yeah it is absolutely mm-hmm. sensory deprivation at the same time In the federal and state prisons, there is, you can buy, if you have the money, you can buy makeup and things like this. And some of the women were very garish with their makeup because it was Mm -hmm. color. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. People who were black wearing bright pink lipstick, just because they wanted to say, I've got color. Because your clothing is gray and khaki. And
1: it's just, I can't even begin. It's a form of resistance. You know, and, it is. It, is. and it, it is. And they don't want, if there's something tangible um, that they can prevent you from having, they will do that. But then they'll do it in the way that you described, which is really perverse when you think mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. They will, you know, you can buy certain things at commissary. So I think you also mentioned a post a while back. Um, the the lack of color. Um, and I, I think I saw that one, right? Um, and, you know, it's like where you could only, you only had like gray yarns or, you know, black or something like that. And it was just, you know, so they'll sell you back the things that you desire to have, but they'll do it in a way that, again, undermines, you know, the the thing that, it, it, how do I put it? they're taking the joy out of the thing that you desire to do or mm-hmm. engage in because it brings you pleasure. And any inkling of pleasure, you know, on the part of incarcerated people is something that they see, particularly COs and, and prison officials see as something to destroy. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're metaphorically, to their
2: killing, the yeah.
1: you know, they're metaphorically killing you. Right. Um, in, in,
2: in that way there's so many ways that you are incarcerated that people don't realize i you know when i talk about the incarceration of senses right um and and so when it comes to the yarn what's what i told you we had to send everything out right um so you could have yellow i still have some yarn from prison because i just like to remind myself you know it's kind of like a i don't know i'm eventually going to do some art thing with it i don't know what but um so there's this bright yellow I have here and um, this really beautiful um, silvery looking blue. Mm-hmm. And I could make things with color, but I couldn't keep them. So they're making, letting me create and then yeah. saying, if you don't send it out, we're going to give you an infraction and we're going to destroy your item, right? And so it's kind of like when the CEOs came to my, to my cell, one of the things everybody knew is that I did legal stuff for people, and I did, um, and I knit it, right, and I read books, so when the CO came to my room, I didn't write this all in the thing, but they destroyed my books, and my family sent books to me, because I'm a reader, and they destroyed my yarn, and then they ripped through all these papers, and some of them weren't mine, I legally had permission to have other people's stuff, because I was working on their legal cases, and we did it all, we got it all signed off, and everything, Mm -hmm. and they destroyed that thing, so it's, It's what you're saying, Kim, they, 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 it's a perverse thing. They're like, yeah, come to commissary and buy these things. But if we dislike you and we think that you're feeling yourself too much, we're going to come in and destroy your stuff. And we might get written up as COs, but at the end of the day, you can't get your stuff back. Right? Yeah,
3: exactly.
2: What they're going to lose compared to what you lose. and it's, these things are expensive, right? This is not. You know when they destroyed my stuff, they easily destroyed two, three hundred dollars worth of stuff that I had been collecting over a while. Yeah. So wow. It is a very it's it's a it's a it makes and it makes you it takes away your enjoyment from it, right? So you go sit back down to it, and that officer might walk by you, and you remember, right? So they've taken, they've they've then imprisoned your your hope, your outlet. They've then taken the freedom of that away from you. Mm -hmm. And I I think it's very deliberate. The the late third grade Marshall, Justice Marshall, said in a dissension, he dissented on a case. He said, when a man walks through prison gates, he does not give up his most basic constitutional Mm right. Prison itself, the removal from society, is the punishment. Yeah. Somehow, the gatekeepers have decided that not only do you get removed from society, but we get to do all these other things to you. To you, you while you're things.
3: in. Absolutely.
2: Right. Exactly. Absolutely.
1: Well, no, I mean, that's everything you've just described in, in the very moving essay that, that you read at the beginning, but also, you know, this entire conversation is, you, you've been describing exactly how they do that. Um, right. Brian, do you want to?
0: Yeah. I guess I was wondering, was knitting something that you could do with a community in prison, or was it something that you did more by yourself?
2: There were, so, you know, I started off at a, a federal prison camp, um, which is um, minimum, right? There's no cameras, there's no gates, there's no locked doors, and they actually had lots of art programs there that mm-hmm. you could participate in through recreation, through the, 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 the recreation department. You could take painting classes. You could take leather making. You could take guitar lessons, and you could take um, knitting and crocheting. And these were inmates running these programs that were sanctioned and covered by the prison. Mm-hmm. I learned to knit from a, a woman that was 67, 68 years old. She was my bunkie, and she she was Armenian. She is Armenian, and she taught me to knit. But she participated. So they have these programs where you can make blankets for people in um, retirement communities, flat mm-hmm. blankets. So what's really twisted is that you go down and there's this beautiful yarn that you can't get on commissary, right?
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: you, you sit and you knit and you, you, they weigh the yarn, they send you back with it and you make these things. And then you come back, they weigh it again to make sure you didn't have any yarn left over. And then they send this beautiful creation with no hair y- uh, yarn or cashmere or just beautiful yarn. So, people did that in a community. I don't do well in groups. Mm -hmm. So, I knit. One of the things I like to tell the story when I first arrived to Alderson in September of 2011, you walk up this big hill, right? Alderson is so tragically beautiful. It's in the middle of the West Virginia hills, it is painfully beautiful. Um, You walk up this hill, and I had no idea what I was going into. And all these women are sitting and on this grassy area at picnic benches and there's color everywhere. They're knitting and they're crocheting and they're talking and the sun was so bright. And um I was like, why does this feel like my first day at um <laughs> college? <laughs> the only thing's missing is the, the parents dropping their kids off. Um oh, wow. and so women women sat together in groups when it was warm out and they would knit and they would crochet and Make bears and pluck, they call it, when you're making the yarn tie into the bear to make it fluffy. And when it was cold, women might go over to the um, chapel because there was communal areas there, or to the gym, or in your unit, you might sit in the TV room um, and knit and crochet. So Mm -hmm. there really was sort of a community. When I got shipped to Hazleton, the secure female facility at Hazleton, which sits in the middle of a men's maximum, a men's medium, and a men's prison camp, when I got there, I didn't know what was going to travel with me because they intentionally ship things home that they know you need. Mm-hmm. And so I also didn't know realize then that you could knit at any women's federal prison. And so while I waited for my things to arrive, I saw people knitting, and I was a little excited, but then I was like, they're going to send my knitting stuff home. They sent some of my, my nice yarn home that I had bought, but I got my knitting needles, and even at um, Hazleton, the women – there was still a program where you could. knit I think at that program you were knitting hats for premature babies and things like that and they sent them out. Um you could still do something like that through recreation and women would sit or sit on the yard and knit together or in in the in the community area you would sit or in the library. Um and the chapel wasn't the same as it is at Alderson. Um but women still did do that together. Mm-hmm. Um and some people did drawing together. Some people were doing portraits of other people so you see people sitting for their portraits or yeah it was it was definitely um yeah it's it's really hard to explain because at the same time you were very protective of this of this freedom you had right mm-hmm. it's like please don't let them search myself please don't let them come and tell me i'm in trouble please don't let them put me in the shoe or suicide watch every time i went on suicide watch or i went to the shoe i came back and yarn was missing. It was just you know, so like it, it creates a level of anxiety about your art and what you're doing. Um, mm-hmm. because you know they can so quickly take it away. They don't want you to find any peace or or calmness. It's constantly mm-hmm. chaotic and a level of fear.
0: So for you, was it was it more of like a personal space for you than you know, you said you didn't you don't do well in groups. Was this more of like a time for you um, you know, like I thinking personally, anytime that I've tried knitting, I've tried a few times. I'm not, I don't have like a good hand coordination to do it, but, um, I could see how it could either be like a, uh, an activity that could help you sort of like clear your mind almost like and meditate, but, it, or it could be, you know, it's very, um, it's very like involved too. So I could see it being something that helps you focus and like think and have like a moment of clarity. And I was just wondering, like you know, if it was more of a personal thing for you and you're doing it in sort of the stressful environment, like, you know, was it sort of like a meditation thing? Was it was it sort of like a place where you could, you know, have your thoughts by yourself? You know, I just wondered, you know, what that kind of space was like for you.
2: So I do have a Facebook um, thing about this, I learned six years ago. um, Right before Lent, I learned to knit. Mm-hmm. and my bunkie who taught me, she wasn't my bunkie anymore, and I used to call her old bunkie, which was kind of a, was kind of a pun. Because, she, because she, wasn't, she wasn't my old bunkie, you know? So I'd be like, old oh, bunkie, you know? But so I had gone on, I'd been in suicide watch, and I had been, a, I'd been hurt physically, and I was moved back to the unit where my old bunkie was, and um, my anxiety was very high, and because of the formulary in prison, you can't get medications that you might need. So like if I had anxiety attacks, there was nothing they could give me. And often it landed, and all of a sudden there's no shoe. They would send you to the local county jail. Um, so I just come back from being on suicide watch and old Bunky came to me and said, you've been trying to get me to nip for over a year. She's like, I just think if you if you do this, it's gonna help your anxiety. And um, and so uh, I decided for that length, I was gonna give up profanity, <laughs> which is really <laughs> fucking hard. <laughs> and I, just learn. I, I believe that you give something up and you take something on and I decided I would learn to knit mm-hmm. and I was afraid that I wasn't that I wouldn't be coordinated or focused enough and, and old Bunky kept saying to me you're so bright and gifted of course you'll be able to do this and mind you I saw some people that I knew weren't nearly as smart as me knitting and I thought okay let's see if I can do this I'm gonna be really embarrassed <laughs> I can't. And um, and I started, you know, and my goal was by the end to make an Easter basket, a bunny Easter basket, like a three-dimensional Easter basket where you could put stuff in the middle and fill out the body. I wanted to make that for my godson. And so I started knitting and um, practicing. And right before Easter, I made this bunny, which I have pictures on my Facebook page, and I was able to send it to my godson, Thomas. And I, I couldn't believe I did it. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. it became, so whenever I got, once I got shipped to, a few months later, I got, I got attacked in the shower and I got sent to Hazleton and I was, I was shipped while I was still under suicide watch, which they're not supposed to do. I got shipped. I got put on suicide watch there and I was there for a couple of weeks. And in my head, I was knitting and I was creating
3: mm.
2: patterns and I was. My fingers were constantly working because it is a language. And um, as soon as I came off and they put me on the compound and I saw people knitting, I asked someone, well, could I borrow their knitting needles? And I just sat. I asked for some yarn. And I just sat knitting nothing, just casting on, knitting and purling and taking it down. Mm-hmm. You know, and then my things came after a week and I was able to, you know, just look at things. And so I guess it was a it was a meditative, but it was also... a um, and it is a way – I think I understand what you say now. It is a way of being a community because everyone knew the fiber artists, right?
3: Mm-hmm, and
2: yeah. somebody would go to somebody and be like, hey, I'm having trouble with this particular stitch. Can you help me with this? And everyone sort of knew the fiber artists. And everyone knew – so you were a sort of community. Even if you weren't friends, you mm-hmm. still kind of had that acknowledgement with each other. And you could check in and say, oh, what are you working on? Ooh, can I borrow that pattern? Or – can you please fix this for me? Because I've dropped so many stitches. I don't have the patience to pick it back up. It was, It is a way of building community. And so mm-hmm. I sit in silence when I knit. There's no TV. There's no music. I'm knitting and crocheting in silence. Um, it is a source of... Um, I never understood mindfulness until I started knitting. And I have to say mm-hmm. that... To be a good fiber artist, I do think there's a level of mindfulness that you have to have. Yeah. Because especially if I'm making things for other people, just like when I bake, I have to be in the right frame of mind because I believe I transfer that energy. So for me, it really is a sort of meditative. um, It is meditative. Mm -hmm. One thing I'm not telling you is that the woman that I mentioned who was the great artist who um, ended up getting shipped. We were, we were cellmates when I was at Hazleton, and um, she got very angry with me. She moved out of our cell. And in Hazleton, you're three to a room that's meant for two, and it's not even really big enough for two. Mm. So she moved out and was very upset with me, and um, we had been very close. And she was very angry, and I had these needles. She had um, bartered something to get these needles to me, and I had done legal work to get some crochet needles for her because I thought it was a crochet. She decided because I wouldn't talk to her, she was very angry. And I was sitting in the open area knitting one day and I had these big fat pink metal needle knitting needles or aluminum needles and she came out and she tried to take the needles and I wasn't gonna want to have them. So she, she put me in a hole. <laughs> and um I asked someone to go press the button and when the lieutenant came I was pretty shook up. She claimed she didn't do anything to me, but they just had to roll the cameras back. And she said, the, the, the lieutenant came to see me after he took her to the shoe. he came and he said to me, I can't believe with those knitting needles, you didn't protect yourself. Because in the federal system, there's no self-defense. Even if they can see that you're about to be killed, you will lose good time. And I was like, you're not getting one extra day out of me. Out of all mm-hmm. the light ups I had, none of them stuck. stuck. I never lost one good day. She attacked Mm. me. I I put my hand under my arm. You know, she bent my needles. Then I stuck them under my arm because it's like, you might have destroyed them, but you're not going to take them. Mm -hmm. And the lieutenant came to me and he said, I rolled the tape, and I can't believe you didn't stab her with those needles. And I I said, you don't get one day out of me. I said, beat me, kick me in my head. So So when I came home, I was out and about one day, and I was at Michael's. I saw those same needles mm. get destroyed and I bought them, but I've never made anything with them.
3: <laughs> wow.
2: I didn't even need them. So it's, again, um, there mm-hmm. is pain associated with that art. And I think when I said, you know, you have to look at that thing and look at the horror that it brings, yeah, but also the source, the reasoning behind it. I make beautiful things. I know this and it gives me pleasure but at the same time when i'm done with something there is a little anxiety because i remember right and memory and dreams are a really tricky thing right so it's like the first thing i do when i wake up in the morning is i touch my um my oak headboard it's not metal right and that's how i know that i'm really in my own bed and yeah. i also run out of my room and look for my yarn because <laughs> because someone used to take that and i I, um yeah, that's about all I can say. I think, mm-hmm. I think my Bunky, old Bunky gave me a true gift. Um And I really love that she loved me in that way, that she wanted mm-hmm. to help me. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. And so, again, I can say it came from a place of love that I was taught to knit and crochet. And so where there, like so many things in our lives, it's bittersweet or sweetly bitter.
1: Mhm. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm I'm sitting here shaking my head, um, you know, as, as you're talking, because so much of what you just said really, you know, resonates with me. Um I paint and, you know, it is meditative, like you describe being, you know, sitting there for hours um knitting in silence. And I can, you know, sit here with my sketchbook and my paints and It'll be three o'clock in the afternoon if I get up at, you know, seven or eight and start painting, you know, shortly after I wake up. And I look up and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I haven't turned on any music. I, you know, don't have any background noise, no TV, nothing going on. Um, And you just get lost in it. But I think that, you know, for me, the. the thing that uh, comes to mind is that in that silence, in that mindfulness, um, you know, that art is sacred, right? That there's something about creating and making something beautiful out of really shitty circumstances. And that's not something that, you know, so it, it, like, it, and I find this um, slightly irritating Uh, When folks, you know, um, they ask you to describe your art and, you know, or they ask me to describe my art and it's like, oh, well, you're not really, you know, you're not drawing prisons and you're not drawing, you know, like these really dark things. Um, Mm. Like they're expecting it to be topical in some way, Um, as if, you know, drawing leaves and flowers and things that are beautiful. are somehow less valuable or important um than you know if you're drawing handcuffs and you know who knows what else and I'm not saying that that's not important and that that doesn't have a place um you know in 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 the rest of it but for some of us you know creating something pretty and using bright colors is is the resistance, right? That is the act of, you know, claiming your humanity in the face of something that wants to take absolutely everything away and wants it all to be ugly, right? And exactly. I'm not arguing, I'll just, you know, let's put this in there and make sure we don't cut this out, Ryan. that I'm not arguing that if you, create that kind of art that somehow that's not beautiful, not at all. But what I'm saying is, you know, I, hopefully people understand that. Um, Totally. You know, and, and just, you know, as you were describing what knitting means to you and what it meant to you while you were incarcerated. um, I think that's just such a, a tremendous thing and just such a powerful thing. And we know why. People don't want, you know, or CEOs and and prison officials don't want people to have access. Um, I know in Delaware, where my sons are, uh, you can't have, uh, you don't have access to art materials unless you're on the compound, right? So in general population. Um, So if you're in uh, medium security or you're in the shoe or in the hole, you're not permitted to have access to art materials. Um, right. And you have to think, and that's an actual policy, right? So you have mm-hmm. to right. think about in the context of everything else that we just talked about, the thinking or the, the logic that informs that kind of policy. Um, I don't know if you have anything you'd like to say in response to that, but I'd love to hear your thoughts.
2: So I I have a couple of thoughts. One, I will say this. When they take you to the shoe um and and of course at alderson i knew nothing about this because like i said there's no shoe there um i when i got to hazelton and they did that you you can get your and sometimes you're in the shoe for preventive measures right so like when when that woman Mm -hmm. attacked me at first they weren't going to put me in a shoe but then they called the psychiatrist and the psychiatrist didn't want to come and assess me to see if it had made me suicidal and it turns out that like before the lieutenant came back my other cellmate that was there, she said that I'd been sitting for an hour and a half and I wasn't moving. I probably disassociated because I'd just been attacked. Um, So the psychiatrist didn't want to come on to assess me to see if I was suicidal. So they told the lieutenant to put me in the shoe with somebody else that could watch me. And Mm. this was like on a weekend, right? And um, so sometimes you're there for preventive measures, right? But you still have the same punishment. So you, you realize what happens there. You have you have a different um commissary list, so you can you can't buy sweets, but you yeah. can buy like nuts and things like that. You you can't buy um, you can only buy minimum hygiene, so you can't buy like the nicer hygiene, right? So you can buy like really low end hygiene, and you are allowed. They're allowed to to give you some of those hygienes, but like basically, it's like we're gonna remove you from the, we're gonna lock you up while you're locked up, right? That in itself is a crime, if you ask me. It is. Yep. It is so, to be to be handcuffed. Not that never happened to me, but I did watch other people get handcuffed while you're incarcerated and taken to a more restrictive area. Right? Mm-hmm. It's, to be locked where you're locked up. Is is is? It is a pain that I don't think any of us can truly bring you into it. You have to experience it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and you know when you have, I never went out for um for free time because they put you in cages um and so they 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 particularly take those things because they want you to feel it right they Mm. want you to feel and they want you to act out because if you if my outlet is reading right but you won't let me have my books you bring the same card around with the same books and i've read them 10 times over and i'm prone to fits of anxiety and saying things right and i'm going to get in trouble for doing that then you're going to some people were in there and they would like yell and they would sit and they would do whatever and they would increase their time there. Right. But if they had yeah. just given them the tools to calm themselves, they, they probably would have gotten out sooner. And so that brings me back to when you were saying that like people ask you like, well, you're not painting things about, or drawing things about prison. How can this be the resistance? I, there are a couple of things that I wanted to say. One some of the most beautiful art you will ever find in your life is in prison, mm-hmm. and it is not in the cell block. It is not of 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 abuse. You know what I mean? It yeah. is of beauty, beauty from the memory, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um. And the other thing is, I thought about audrey and Rich's um, poem, "Diving into the Wreck." Mm-hmm. There is a beautiful line in that 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 poem that I didn't really get until I went to prison, and she says, "I came for the story." and not the wreck itself, right? So the wreck is this criminal industrial complex, right? And the trauma that goes with it. But when I knit and crochet, it is the story behind that, that is the resistance. Mm-hmm. When I say my justice warmers, and I tell that story about how like, we were allowed to buy gray fleeces, right? Which again was a sign of class, if you could afford, of money, like if you could afford to buy the fleece, it meant that you had some level of money on your commissary mm-hmm. um, yeah. beyond the basic basis. Mm-hmm. We, but they gave us, they sold us gray mittens or gloves that were really pricey, and they would tear, and they weren't warm. And if you didn't have money to buy that, they gave you gardening gloves <laughs> for the winters in West Virginia. So I started making these justice warmers, right? And um, I would add, just I would make them gray at the top and at the bottom, but in between, I'd put blue or pink or yellow. So when you put your fleece on, mm-hmm. you pull your arms back and if they saw anything they just saw gray right but yeah underneath there was just resistance the very act of having those warmers almost resistance but the mm-hmm. very act of having color color in your body that yeah. you knew about it yeah. so when i tell that story it's like it's not about what i created it's the story of why i created it right yeah. so it's mm-hmm. like what Andrew exactly said. i came for not the wreck but for the story of the wreck right yep. So I think that we need to look behind these stories of beauty that grows out of so much pain, right? It's like, people tell me how articulate I am and how well I speak. That is an act of defiance because of the abuse I grew up in, right? So Mm -hmm. if I can present myself in a way where you won't see those scars, then you learn that in the midst of so much trauma and so much desperation, somebody can grow into me, but you can't forget the story of that creation, right? There is a story behind it. And in order to truly appreciate it, you have to know the whole thing. You can look at the wreck and all the relics left behind and pick them up and ooh and ah, but if you don't get the story, then you really can't, Properly embrace it and appreciate
1: it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Um, I'm like, (laughs) what's wrong? (laughs) Nothing's wrong. It's just like, you know, um, when we talked a couple of weeks ago, we must have been on the phone for what, two and a half hours? And it went by.
2: yeah, it was three and a half hours it just it was from light to completely dark outside <laughs> <laughs> but, but
1: it went by in a flash like i i just thoroughly enjoy talking with you and listening to you and you know it's it, it like it really does it feels like You know, when we were talking, um, you were sharing about your experience and I was telling you about my experience with my sons and all this stuff. Like there was, there's a lot there that we don't actually, like, I don't have to say and you already get. And that was like, okay, you know, you see me, like you actually, Mm -hmm. you're seeing me and you're hearing me and you're saying things. And I'm like, you get it. You know, and when I hear you talk and I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is like, yeah. Um, So I I just I share that to say, you know, I appreciate you so, so very much. Um, Brian, do you have a question?
0: Yeah, I have a couple left here. Um, I wanted to ask you if you could just talk about what some of your favorite things to knit are. Um, you know, both in prison or after. I was just curious, like, what are the things that you really like to make?
2: So when I was at Alderson, I would say my favorite thing to make was scarves. And I, I, I really can't tell you why it was, but mm-hmm. everyone seems to be making scarves and you can do, um, you can take a pattern that's meant for something very complex, complicated, like a, 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 like a sweater and take that same pattern into a scarf and get the most beautiful, So, like, if you look at my um, Etsy page, I have something called the Red Line, and there's this scarf that's done with a mock mock cable twist. That actually came from a a design for a tank top, which I'm going to design. So, I would say scarves at Alderton. When I got to Hazelton, my favorite thing to make was the the wrist warmers that I call justice warmers Mm -hmm. because of what I told you. You could hide Mm -hmm. them underneath. And also hats. And I'll tell you why hats were really fun because it took the prison a while to catch on that they shouldn't sell khaki colored yarn and gray yarn, right? Because if you sell these things, most of the officers at the higher security prison aren't as picky, sneaky, they're as picky, picky, you know what I mean? Yeah. So they'll just see a khaki hat and they'll assume that that was something issued, right? <laughs> and so I was making these hats for people Jeez. and had these like intricate designs <laughs> and they were like <laughs> walking around. <away. laughs> That's so awesome. people started getting bolder and be like, okay, Put some put some pink into that hat and see what happens. So then it became this challenge, and I actually made myself this hat that had um, wine-colored seed stitch around the, the 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 base, and it was beige, like almost white at, mm. at the, the body. And I put it on, and I made myself a scarf to match it. And so we were making bets, like how long is it going to take the officers to realize that like <laughs> Taylor is walking around with color. And it took them two or three weeks because they were always so used to me being in some kind of, like, state of panic. You know what I mean? Like, when they looked at me, they were like, is she going to hurt herself? Is she going to split her wrist? That's what they were checking when I was on the compound, right? Mm-hmm. Like one day I was walking back from commissary, and there was a whole gaggle of people making way too much noise. And I was just like, you I was like, yes? What the hell are you doing? And I was like, carry my bag. They knew damn well what I was doing. Carry my bag of commissary back to the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, "Where the fuck did you get that hat?" That's what he said to me. <laughs> oh, I said, "Hat." I said, hat." I said, "Oh, I made the hat." He was like, I, "I'm, I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you. You need to go inside. You need to remove the hat and you should hide it because if I come to your cell, it's, it's like I can't believe you're bold enough." And of course, this was near the end of my stay, right? So I was getting mm-hmm. really bold, right? Um, and it was just funny because we had been taking bets, right? People have been paying me in yarn because. I had gotten away from it for like three weeks, right? Mm-hmm. So hats became this real act of defiance. Um, now that I'm home, I I have to say, um, I just start knitting again, um, back in twenty eighteen and um when I wrote the story about the Justice Warmers, I got such people were so moved by that. I got all these orders, and when I sit here making them, and they're all these different colors people are asking for, I really am enjoying it. And I think about the women that I've left behind that are doing life, that are doing the equivalent of life, mm-hmm. and I knit, I knit for them. Um, and I'm really, I've got an Easter basket line that's coming out, and I am so looking forward to start working on those. I mean, like because that was the first thing I knit it, but right now I'm just like finishing up the Justice warmers because I'm going to take them off you have to do things seasonally at least that's what I believe but I do enjoy making those oh I'm sorry and the ponytail hats that I created how can I forget that the ponytail (laughs) hats are so much fun there's so much fun um the ones that you can have two ponytails hanging out of and the one where you have one and you can adjust it that creation somebody asked me about to do something and I created it myself and I think that's my first truly original creation, Mm. something that I didn't take and hack into something that I actually had to think about how I would do it. And it's been my first creation since I've been home. So I'm really proud of that. And it gives me a lot of pleasure. And I, you know, when you, when you're in prison, you have to send these things home or to, or you make them for somebody to send to their children or whomever, you don't get pictures of them, you know, you have to take Mm -hmm. a picture in your mind. And so other than the Easter basket that my godson's mother pulled out the other day to send pictures there in California, I, I don't have pictures of, 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 of 99% of the things that I made.
3: Mm-hmm. So
2: it is so much fun to make these things. And somebody sent me a message to, on how to stage my stuff. So I'm doing all these like backdrops that are black and, you know, mm-hmm. it, I can take pictures of the things I'm sending out. And that's, mm-hmm. I think all artists want to be able to document their creations that they pass on. And so Definitely. as much as I'm having as much mm-hmm. fun creating as I am documenting it, um, because again, there's a story in that, right? Right.
3: Yeah, Yeah. yeah I want to
2: that's, ask. That's, go ahead. I'm sorry, Brian.
0: Oh, I was just going to say, um, you know, before we let you go, I'm, and, you know, maybe Kim has another question first, but I want to make sure that you share with everybody Uh, you know, where they can find your creations. Um, But sorry, go ahead, Kim.
1: Oh, no, I was just going to say, you know, what you just said about uh, documenting uh, your creations, right? We live in an Instagram world and Etsy world. And, you know, we have um, so many different apps where we keep photos. I just looked at my phone today and I was searching for a photo and realized I had like over 33,000 photos saved on my phone and I'm like, I'm not even kidding. And, you know, it's like, it, like, I'm constantly trying to send pictures in to you know, to both of my sons about, um you know, like the most mundane things that are happening in my day. Like if I take a walk somewhere, I'll take a picture of something. If I'm, you know, somewhere where I'd been with them before and that, places changed and a lot of things have changed in the last eight years, um, you know, that they haven't seen. Um mm-hmm. you know, I just try to snap pictures of those things, but particularly um about the things that, you know, that that uh as artists, you know, artists are creating. Um, you know, I've I've received things from folks inside um, you know, some amazing, amazing pieces of art. Um and sometimes you know the card is destroyed, right um so we know that when they're processing it, you know like once you once you make it you know in prison um the there's no guarantee that that thing will stay intact because as you pointed out, at any moment, someone you know the the shakedown team or you know, I don't know what, what they're called in the federal, um, prison will come through and destroy, you know, or throw things away or say that you have contraband or whatever, um, and get rid of your creations, right? So being able to document those things is such an important part of, you know, the entire process. And particularly in 2019, like we live in a world where, People are, you know, like these are artifacts and these are the kinds of things that, you know, um, let us know where we've been, where we are. I mean, Mm -hmm. if I want to know what I was doing last year at this time, I get a reminder that says, you know, this is a memory that you have from, you know, February, whatever today is day of 27th, um, you know, 2018, this is what you were doing. And I get a picture of, you know, what I was doing last year, um. So I think that that's also an important element in this and something that is missing um, inside for absolutely no good reason. And I want to stress that. <laughs> absolutely no good reason to have this kind of policy in place, but um, there's no good reason to have that,
2: I think, again, it goes back to um, the deprivation um yeah. and mm-hmm. uh when people feel when people you know it's just basically you're kicking someone while they're down and this system is created to it's a cog right i guess that's the right word it, it needs to keep um regenerating itself right like yep. you, you, if you if you actually put a system in place where it's humane and um i talk about my time at alderson and it's not to romanticize it but I'm gonna say this, my biggest fear was getting shipped and it happened. Not because I was acting out, but simply because they allowed me to be a victim by of other inmates and some staff because they didn't like me, right? Like the worst mm-hmm. thing you can be in prison is a smart black woman. Let me mm-hmm. tell you, there is no place for us. The worst thing that you can be in this criminal justice system when you're standing in front of a judge. And you have a charge is to be a smart, educated, put together black woman. They don't like it, right? So when you get to that prison, you were going to be a target. And everyone knew who I was because my case was high profile. People also knew who I was because I did legal work, right? So mm-hmm. when I was at Alderson, when I was at Alderson, while I was attacked and I was physically and sexually violated, I I still didn't want to leave there and I had these moments, I just want to tell you that this is really weird, but I, because you can email, right? And I, I, ha- I have some of those emails because I printed them off, but i remember writing to my friend, Aaron and I wrote to a group of friends, actually, and I said, um, today they, they had Dr. Pepper on the commissary and Twizzlers. And anybody that knows me <laughs> knows that I have like, well, as healthy as I like to eat, I have these little dirty secrets. And I love to bite Twizzlers on either end and make a straw and sip Dr. Pepper from it, like if I go to the movie. (laughs) So this particular day, it was my day at commissary, and I was like, oh, I hope they don't run out of Twizzlers. I hope they don't run out of Twizzlers. And I got there, and I got this huge bag of Twizzlers, and they had bleachers at Alderson where you could watch um, volleyball. They had a sand pit, so you had sand volleyball like you're on the beach. Um, and so there was always volleyball games going. And so I was sitting there under this big tree and it was so sunny out and you could look out and see the mountains. And I had my Dr. Pepper and I had this Twizzler and I closed my eyes and I could have been anywhere but incarcerated, right? Wow. And when you open your eyes or when I did, I thought, what if they ship me, right? Because that's the ultimate punishment. So even in the midst of being incarcerated and having freedom like we had there, we really moved on our own throughout the day. There weren't all these counts and things like that. That there's something hanging over you. We can always take this away from you. It is a privilege to be at a camp. It is a privilege to be able to walk down to your visits and sit with visitors and sit on a porch swing. And we saw the Amtrak train running outside the prison, right? Even Mm. in that setting, let's think about it. What would it look like if they had a residential treatment program for people who have trauma, right? What would it look like if everybody was trauma informed? What if they said, We're not just gonna offer art, we're gonna offer art therapy and we're gonna make sure people have the supplies and we're gonna have people creating and we're gonna let you keep some of these things because because they make you feel good. Yeah. What if we designed a system if you, if you look up the big house on the History Channel, you'll learn about Alderson's history, and it was designed to be a place to heal women who had been accused of some kind of criminal behavior. Right? It's gotten away from that, but it was the first prison for women. And I just think when I got to Hazelton, and it, oh God, I, just the dirt and the filth and the crappy food, I, I, I was, I was like, oh, this is, this is bottom. So if you can if you know that you're at bottom by being incarcerated and that there's a worse bottom. Yeah. It, it is, a it is again, a way of constantly reminding you that you are nothing. And I, I have this saying, they disappear you in prison. They do. Because at the end of the day, nobody knows, right? Yep. I can't just pick up a phone and call when I want to. I can't, if they lock me on suicide watch like they did once for three weeks, when you're on suicide watch, you don't get letters. You don't. You don't get, get access.
1: Yeah. Yep. No visit. You don't get
2: anything. You get nothing. Right. Yeah. For three yeah. Weeks, my family and friends did not know where I was one time. really yeah. was a long time to be on suicide watch, and I wasn't suicidal. Right. Yeah. I became suicidal after the first week,
3: <laughs> yeah. but I was.
2: It was a punishment. Right. Yeah. and So I right. think that if people can understand. All of this, taking people's books, denying books to come into the prison like they're doing in Pennsylvania now, all of denying the mail where they have to scan the mail in or whatever, all of this is a way of degrading and dehumanizing and disappearing you. Because time seems to stand still when you're in prison if you don't have access to stuff, right? Yeah. If you can't get those pictures to your son, everything freezes, right? Yep. And that's one of the hard parts about reentry is that things tend to stand still for you. Even if you're getting pictures, um, they do seem to stand still and that you have to come out and then you don't get that sense of how many years you lose Yep. until you actually start like walking around. Right. Yep. Um, I lost four and a half years, which is nothing compared to some people. They're talking about Michael Collins going away for three years and <laughs> I keep laughing. They're like, he's going away for a long time. I'm like, mm, three years. Um, so I, I think that that's really important for people to remember about when they disappear, you there's silence. Right.
1: Yeah.
2: And, 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 and you, for the things that we do tell you that's happening when we tell our loved ones, you better there's believe a, that's only a fraction oh, because we don't want to the iceberg. Done.
3: It's the tip it of the iceberg. Fraction.
2: It's a fraction. And it's been, I came out in 2014 but I was still under, you know, house arrest and everything like that. And at the halfway house, I wasn't actually freed until 2015. it's just been four years. And I still cannot talk. And it wasn't just the things that other inmates did to me. Some of the worst horrors were what staff did to me. And um, that idea that, like, it's very much like being the abused child that I was, that I knew no one could help me. And if you want to create monsters, you lock them away and let them know, we can do whatever we want and no one can help you. And you're either going to get somebody that comes out and becomes very self-destructive like me, hurting myself. I've been hospitalized twice since I've been home um, in mental hospitals. Or you're going to get somebody coming out raging mad and looking for revenge. And there has got to be that middle ground. And I honestly believe that writing reading and art in all of its forms are it's just a basic thing that we can do when we talk about Mm -hmm. um, rehabilitation I mean I yeah well I mean it was the writing the writing and the knitting that really that really kept me grounded um Mm -hmm. and since I've been home like I said I wasn't knitting for a long time because I fell into a deathly depression but you know, with all the trauma, with where I'm living right now, when I was like so frustrated this morning, I, I didn't wake up and take uh, a pill to calm me down. I uh, I started I started making things, right? I made some coffee mm-hmm. and I started creating. Um, and I think that that you know that's that's all I really have to say. That I think that taking art to our prisons and jails is a no-brainer to me. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's so much more um, in that conversation, um, you know, or in this conversation that we could, you know, Mm -hmm. um, expand on, Um, but we're going to, you know, leave it there for today. Um, Certainly, you have an open invitation to come back um, and talk to us anytime uh, about pretty much anything, um, you know, that you... (laughs) Like to talk to us about because, uh, you know, it's you have so much insight and wisdom, and the the voices that need to get heard in, you know, in this space are of people that have been inside the system, um, that experience it, you know, and those are the ones that we need to. Um, not just center, but also amplify. So we both appreciate, um, deeply appreciate your time and your um, and your effort, your energy, your labor here. Um, let's um, let's make sure that we let folks know where they can find uh, your work and where they can follow you if um, if you're comfortable with that. And um, and I think that's it.
2: So. Um... Just so the listeners know that my name is Taylor, but it's spelled T-A-Y-L-A-R. So whenever I say my name, just keep in mind how it's spelled. So if you look me up on Facebook, I'm under Taylor, T-A-Y-L-A-R, and my last name is Enna and Nancy, and V-S-N-Victor E, L-L-E, um, and it's Taylor Nouvelle 1969, I believe. And then for my um, Etsy, if you want to see the things that I make, you can go to Etsy, E-T-S-Y dot com, backslash shop, backslash Taylor made by hand. And that's Taylor, T-A-Y-L-A-R, made by hand, one word. You will find my Etsy thing. Taylor, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you all for having me.
0: Hey. Absolutely. All right. Well, everybody go out, okay. buy things from her Etsy store. Absolutely. Uh, and we will be in touch.
1: Hat. I'm, I'm letting you know right now, I definitely need a ponytail hat because, <laughs> yo.
3: I'm, okay. I'm gonna
1: be put. I know you have a a bunch of custom orders that you're working on right now, but I'm definitely going to be putting in an order for a custom ponytail hat because, I yeah, like I have a lot of yeah. hair
2: natural hair works very well with the ponytail hat so yeah, yeah. and that's you, you know
1: i i want to swing my ponytail back and forth so you know
2: yes bring your <laughs> ponytails let them free absolutely <laughs> and stay warm while you're doing it but i appreciate being on the show and thank you for having me all right take care